Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Buker and Friends podcast. Here is your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buker. Rick Buker. Welcome to another episode of Buker Friendless, subsidiary of Buker and Friends, part of the United Wecast Network. I'm Rick Buker. You can see me on FS1, read me on Bleacher Report, and follow me on Twitter at Rick Buker and on Instagram at Rick underscore Buker. This is part two of what I'm calling My Story is from the Warriors' Old Home. That being what was last known as Oracle Arena, but was, if I'm not mistaken, Oakland Alameda County Coliseum Arena when I first started working there. Now, I'm sure I didn't refer to it as that in my stories for the San Jose Mercury News. I'm guessing it was just Oakland Coliseum Arena, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, for those of you who listened to part one, it ended up being more about me and my relationship with the building than events that took place there. And I don't know if that's what you expected, but I'm guessing that you're also interested in more of just what I saw and what transpired covering the team in the uh, in the arena. And so I'm going to try to get to a little bit more of that. Obviously, the two are intertwined and... Uh, as I mentioned, the impetus for me doing this and talking about this at all is just all that I experienced. My career, that was the starting place for my career covering the NBA, uh, learned basically the building blocks of everything that informed my reporting and coverage uh, moving forward. So with all that in mind, uh, let me start this episode with what still stands as one of the biggest moments of my career. And that's the day that I asked Chris Weber in the locker room at the arena after practice one day about playing center versus power forward. Now, that doesn't sound like such a big deal, uh, especially in today's sort of positionless game. But at that time, it was a huge deal because the center position, not the power forward position, was where all the talent was. And Weber at 6'9", was undersized for a center. And it would mean that playing center, he was going up against the likes of Patrick Ewing and Shaquille O'Neal and Akeem Olajuwon and so on. Uh, big men, big centers ruled the, uh, ruled the paint at that time. And meanwhile, power forwards were, that was where Webb was going to have an advantage playing against Charles Barkley, and and maybe not an advantage, but certainly was going to be able to compete on a different level. Um, now, 
to understand where the conversation then went, you have to know the backstory. And by this point in Don Nelson's career with the Warriors, he had been a fixture with the Milwaukee Bucks before that and a fixture as a player with the Boston Celtics before that. He had gone from being considered a basketball genius to the inventor of gimmicks. Uh, I don't know if he was the first coach ever, but he was the first coach I covered that tried to manipulate the game by having bigs who could play away from the basket. And we all talk about small ball now and the Warriors. And indeed, uh, this is one of the genesis of, this was birthplace of it, but it didn't happen with Steve Kerr. It happened with Don Nelson. That was the first time small ball really uh, dominated. But it was in a, it was in a different way. Um, it was small ball truly without talent, and it was by necessity less than absolute design. And uh, in any event, it was because Nelly didn't have any quality big. So, uh, again, talking about seven-footers, true seven-footers, that's just the way the game was. And he decided, well, I don't have what I need to play that style, so... I'm going to come up with an entirely different style. It was entertaining, but people were a little tired of the, at best, getting to the playoffs, winning maybe the first round, with no hope of ever contending for a title. That's what he was facing. So he'd have his bigs, even guys that were bigs, as in a Minot Bowl, who height-wise was big enough, but didn't have the girth to be able to play in the paint. Uh, he'd have them all lining up uh, at the three-point line and gave them the freedom to let it fly from there. Now, none of these guys were playmakers the way Draymond Green or LeBron James or Nikola Jokic are today. They were just essentially floor spacers, ideally mobile floor spacers who could defend at one end, uh, at least the rim, and then stretch the floor at the other end. Now, let imagine... Basically, Nelly imagined Kevin Garnett long before he entered the league as in a long athletic big who could block shots, outrun the lumbering post-up seven-footers, and have a jump shot shot good enough to leave the paint open for the driving wings that Nelly did have a gift for identifying and drafting. Uh, And he thought he'd found the player of his dreams in Sean Bradley, the seven-foot-five beanpole who entered the draft after one year at BYU, and then, if I'm not mistaken, a year away from basketball entirely while serving on a Mormon mission. Now, my first year covering the Warriors full-time was the year that they tanked to get Sean Bradley. Only you couldn't say they were tanking, at least not around Nelly. He disavowed ever losing purposely, no matter how painfully obvious it became. Instead, he blamed a rash of injuries, and the Warriors led the league in games missed that season. Now, some were legit. I believe uh, Sharunas Marshallunas broke his leg. Some were freakish. I'm trying to think if that was the season that Mully, uh, Chris Mullen, uh, it was either that or the subsequent season he tore a ligament in his finger. I want to say it was 92-93. Uh, but a good number of them were just made up. And load management and simply resting players hadn't come into vogue yet. So I, I remember distinctly at one point late in the season in March, Warriors were beating the Clippers. This was down in uh, L.A. Arena, down in, in L.A. And 
Timmy Hardaway was having a game. And then he sat. Nothing extraordinary happened, but he sat the entire fourth quarter. And Warriors ended up losing in the final minutes. And Hardaway just... (laughs) um, There was nothing that happened that suggested he hurt himself. And when we went to talk to Nelly afterward, he said that uh, Tim had felt something in his knee... And as a precautionary measure, they just decided to shut him down. Now, there was a point at which in in college, Hardaway had had surgery to remove a cyst in his knee. And sports medicine was not what it was then, uh, that it was now, that it is now. It wasn't then what it is now. But um, so when they removed the cyst, uh, whoever did the surgery just basically took if not all, a healthy chunk of cartilage with it. So to a certain extent, knee issues weren't a foreign concept for Hardaway. But in this instance, Nelly apparently never talked to him about what he was going to say because we went into the locker room to talk to Tim and brought up the, you know, your knee. He was kind of mystified and he didn't know which knee was supposed to be hurt. So he was just, he was, he was a little ticked that he had this game going and, Nelly basically benched him. And I think he probably understood why, but Timmy was a, the ultimate competitor. Um, no doubt he wasn't wasn't happy about it. He wasn't going to say anything but or outright call Nelly out, but he wasn't happy. Now, I'm pretty sure losing wasn't easy for Nelly either. And it certainly wasn't easy for guys like Hardaway or Marshall Lonis or Chris Mullen, but sitting them made it easier. And... So that's why, despite the desire to be in the lottery and get Bradley, they still, they didn't lose. I mean, it was an outright Philadelphia 76ers losing. They finished with the seventh worst record. And maybe Nelly hoped that a year away on missionary work would prompt Bradley to drop down other teams' draft boards so he didn't have to move up. But it was, it was a quasi-tanking. Uh, it was clear that they were tanking, but it was not abject tanking. Uh, so two things happened in the lottery that helped, both helped and hurt Nelly's cause. One, the Warriors got lucky, and they leaped from seventh to third in the pecking order. But they found themselves behind the Philadelphia 76ers, who saw Bradley as the perfect complement to Allen Iverson. So Nelly was not the only one who had high hopes for Bradley. Now, Nelly was so covetous of Bradley that he tried to persuade the Orlando Magic, who had the number one pick, to take Bradley and then trade him for the Warriors' number three pick and seemingly whatever else the Magic might want. But because the deal couldn't be officially consummated until after the draft, the Magic were fearful something would go wrong and they'd be stuck with two centers, Bradley and Shaquille O'Neal, who they just acquired the year before. So they weren't going to do that, especially with a perfect power forward compliment like Weber sitting right there. Magic were intent on drafting Weber. So it was going to go Weber and then Sean Bradley, and then the Warriors were going to presumably have to take the next best player, which was Penny Hardaway. And they didn't really need another another point guard having all-star Hardaway already, the first Hardaway, Tim. So, now, the Magic weren't all that high on Penny. 
They weren't even really sure if he was a true point guard. But the Warriors' willingness to throw so many assets at them, multiple first-round picks, convinced them to at least, well, let's take a look. Let's see. So they brought Penny in for a workout. And seeing a chance to play with Shaq, Penny put on a show. They suddenly looked at it in an entirely different light. Whoa. Penny's this long, tall, gifted passer. This might be our inside-outside. Yeah, Weber and Shaq would be a great fit on the front line. But this, this changes things. So that opened the door, finally, for a deal. Now, Nelly still didn't want to draft Weber. But the rest of his staff convinced him it was the only play that made sense. We need to get a big. This kid is super talented. He's a passer. He's going to work. He, he can be your point forward. Uh, so... So they pulled the trigger. Bradley wasn't available. They needed a big man. And, and, and I mean, in hindsight, look, they actually were getting a more proven commodity. With Weber and Michigan having gone to the final four, two years in a row, yeah, there was the timeout and all that. But anyway, reluctantly, Nelson traded Hardaway, Penny, and three future first-round picks for Weber. Now, Picking Weber didn't stop Nelly from picking on him. The salary cap rules being what they were at the time, teams over the cap had to sign drafted players into a salary slot. And that was created by trading a player and not taking a contract back. So the Warriors did that by dealing Tyrone Hill, power forward, presumably the position that Weber was going to take over, traded him to Cleveland. And then they utilized his, I want to say it was a $3.1 million slot, Obviously, way low for a number one pick. And this was at a time where there was no rookie salary scale. So you could pay whatever. So the best that the Warriors could do was to get that salary slot and then sign Weber to a 15-year deal that ended up making the contract worth well over $100 million, but with a one-year out. Because obviously, it was going to take Weber forever to make that money and he should be making at least 50, 60 million in the first couple of years. That was the going rate at the time. Um, eh, maybe, maybe not the first couple of years, let's say five, six years should have been, should have been making 10 million a year as I'm going to estimate for a number one pick. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Anyway, um, so they came up with a suitable contract, but it did have the one year out. And once he was an incumbent player, then the Warriors didn't need to go buy a salary slot on his next contract. Now, Nelly never missed a chance to needle Weber about his shortcomings. And because we had access to practice, we, we saw it and heard it sometimes. And it was just, it was, it was, 
it wasn't overt. It was just, there was a demeaning sense about it. You know, Weber after practice would be shooting free throws and he'd miss one or make one and Nelson would be uh, addressing us, the media, meeting with us, and he'd look back over and he'd say something like, oh, that now that was a good one, Webb. Or, uh, no, that, ugh, not, not good, Webb. And it was just, it was a little much, particularly when you're talking about the number one pick. It was clearly kind of stating his authority over Weber. And again, it's kind of a matter of who Weber was coming in. That might have worked with the most of the other guys that Nelson drafted because they were grateful that he drafted him and, and gave him an opportunity. They were late first-round picks, you know, the Tim Hardaways of the world. Um, Chris Mullen was a lottery pick, but, you know, he had his, uh, his substance issues, and so there's a different reason for, for him to be grateful uh, for uh, the second chance that he got once he, he got sober. But Weber was a whole different deal. Weber came in with a reputation to protect, not a reputation to build. And already knowing, had to know from the very beginning that he wasn't Nelly's first choice. The kid from BYU was. Just didn't set them off on the right foot. Along with playing center when he considered himself the prototypical power forward. And it at, for a good while had entertained the idea of being a power forward next to Shaquille O'Neal. Shaquille O'Neal doing all the physical work and Webb being able to be the pass master, which was really what he was. He loved being a playmaker. It should have been a relationship that worked to a T because Webber was and envisioned himself as the ideal point forward. It just didn't work out that way. So um, the needling was day in practice. I wasn't there. I was told about it later. Uh, Nelly said to the team, hey, if any of you guys can't get the money you want, it's because of that guy right there. And he pointed at Weber, his 20-year-old rookie that he just mortgaged the team's future to acquire. Now, keep in mind, Nelly was also the coach. He was both the coach and GM at the time. So he was essentially telling the rest of the team, if I can't give you the contract we both want you to have, it's because of Weber. Really nice. Aside from the fact that the kid was getting underpaid at the time anyway for being number one pick. And it certainly wasn't Weber's fault. I mean, just those are the kind of things that are not going to build a healthy relationship. Now, as I said, Weber did have leverage because he had that one year out. So when I sat down at his locker two weeks into the season looking to get his view of playing center versus power forward, Weber quickly diverted the conversation. He he gives you can't write this. But if Cohan, that's Chris Cohan, the owner at the time, doesn't give me some kind of protection from Nelly, I'm out of here at the end of the season. Okay, so this is my second year covering the NBA, covering my dream, you know, having my dream job, working an NBA beat. And two weeks in, I'm told that the player that the Warriors had mortgaged their future for by the player in question didn't want to be there anymore. And 
I couldn't tell anybody. Now, this kind of situation was not without precedent. The first person I thought of when this happened was Phil Collier, a longtime baseball beat writer at the San Diego Union, where my newspaper career started with an internship. And I, it's a famous picture, and I, I want to say it was Sandy Koufax, but I'm not 100% certain. But the pitcher told Phil at the beginning of the season that this would be his last, uh, but that he didn't want anybody to know, and he certainly couldn't write about it until the end of the season, and then he would have it first. And Phil stayed true to his work. And, uh, but again, that was a different circumstance. Pitcher was retiring. He was going out on good terms. It was also a couple decades before, at least a couple decades before my situation with, with Weber and the Warriors. And uh, the pitcher was going out on a, on, a, on a good note. There was no controversy. This was entirely different. There were already rumblings and indications that Nellie and Weber didn't get along. Uh, so I went back to Weber, I don't know if it's a few days later, a week later, whatever, and I said, look, I won't do anything with what you told me unless it becomes obvious to everyone that there are issues between the two of you. If it becomes public, if there's anything that, that happens that everybody sees, then I'm going to have to write about the situation. And he said he was okay with that. Now, as anyone who has followed the Warriors in my career knows, about a month later it became obvious that Weber and Nelson weren't getting along. The team was in Charlotte. Weber tried a behind-the-back pass. It was turnover. Nellie benched him, and uh, they apparently got into it in the locker room, or they certainly they had words as, as Weber went to the bench. And so a couple weeks after that, after investigating, talking to a lot of other players on the team, I ended up writing a story that I thought was as fair as it could be, uh, attributing the issues between them to a young Fab Five star and a 50-something-year-old old coach having a battle of wills and you know, just not, not having any common ground. And I was right on the latter part, that it was a battle of wills. But the more I learned about both of them, the more I came to believe that the reason that they never meshed is because they were actually alike and that both could be extremely charming. Both tried at times to play down just how smart they were. They tried to play up their humble beginnings and yet both were cunning, whip smart. I mean, basically, both of them in their way were as, as intelligent and, and clever in a multitude of ways, in some manipulative ways, as any coach or player I've ever covered. Uh, and they were also not above using everyone and anyone to accomplish their desired goals, which I would imagine I, I was that when it came to uh, Weber. So anyway, back to the arena. Weber's acquisition, Nelson's misgivings aside, Warriors fans were over the moon. They were dreaming of the Western Conference Finals because they finally had a big man uh, who could battle the likes of Charles Barkley with the Suns or Sean Kemp with the Sonics 
And for all of Nelly's dislike for Weber, fans and his teammates were a different story. They were as thrilled to have a legitimate big to play with after years of being the equivalent what I'd say is a toy pop gun. It looks like the real thing. Sometimes it sounds like the real thing, but it doesn't have the power to do any real damage. And I remember Chris Mullen in particular was particularly enthralled because Weber had the kind of skills he in particular appreciated. Passing, hands, vision, uh, set screens. He was a big man. And the passing ability, I mean, Mully, Mully saw an opportunity to to be able to to play off of of Webb and 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 indeed they did those guys developed a chemistry very early on. Uh, so I mentioned that the Warriors didn't have a dedicated practice facility. I didn't mention that the basketball gods seemed to have a particularly cruel attitude when it came to the team and their fans because after the draft, after the Weber draft, everybody was excited, and then September. Marshallonis blows out his knee in a pickup game. Mullen's mom turns gravely ill, and he leaves training camp to be with her back on the East Coast. Hardaway, Tim, he of the three consecutive All-Star appearances, blows out his knee in a practice at the arena in training camp. Now, or preseason. Hopes were so high, and this is, I don't know if I've seen this, but Hopes were so high and the injury was so demoralizing that the Warriors ended practice right there. And we were there watching practice when he went down. He was on a layup, came down, and you knew immediately something was wrong. Now, a couple days later, Warriors picked up a free agent named Avery Johnson. Uh, They still ended up making the playoffs. But... That season, man, you talk about an introduction for all that can go on with an NBA team. I mean, I saw, heard, and wrote about it all. I was watching practice when Latrell Sprewell and power forward Byron Houston squared off, and I learned it's not the size of the dog in the fight, but the size of the fight in the dog, because Spree, who was a wiry 6'5", tagged Houston, who outweighed him by at least 50 pounds, must have tagged him at least three, four times before Byron could even move. It was, it was no contest. Uh, I also saw a team rift evolve between the young guns, Spree, Weber, Billy Owens, and the old guard of Hardaway and Avery Johnson, who were fairly or otherwise seen as company men and even possibly locker room snitches for the coaching staff by the young guns. Now, I didn't, never got any sense. I never got any direct knowledge of that, but that's the way the young guys reviewed. And because of Nelly's treatment of Weber and Weber being close to Spree and uh, Billy, that, that also created a divide. So that year ultimately ended with Weber whispering in Barkley's ear something prophetic, now that I look at it, and Barkley asking me to do him a favor. Now, what Barkley said and, and <laughs> what Weber said and Barkley asked, I'll tell you in my part three of my stories from the Warriors' old home. That does it for this episode of Buker Friendless. 
In the next episode, I'll be joined by Ryan Hollins. We're going to get into Kawhi Leonard and the press conference with the Clippers, what we learned about Kawhi Leonard and how he went about the decision to go to the Clippers, how he orchestrated it, and some things that we knew and stopped paying attention to that might have given, might have tipped us off in terms of the decision that he ultimately made and how he went about making it. That'll be the gist of the next podcast. As always, uh, please rate the show however you feel about it, one through five stars. Uh, leave us a, 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 a note. Leave us a comment if you will. Please clean all this up, Libby. Leave us a comment if you will. And uh, if you want us to do something for you, screenshot that review to uh, and send it to at Buker Friends and you'll be eligible to win uh, some prizes. All right, that does it. As always, thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.